0: Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about O'Malley's Luck, season six, episode 18, first aired March 25th, 1990. And the IMDb summary reads, Jessica's friend, police lieutenant O'Malley, and his rookie niece solve the case of a businessman's wife's apparent suicide. So there really wasn't any trivia on here. It was just like this is one of several episodes of this season where Jessica Fletcher isn't really in it. You know, she doesn't intro. It's not even technically a book end episode because she doesn't follow back around at the end. So we'll get into the returners the cast in the episode. But I will say this is a good episode. It's a solid episode. They, I believe they tie up all of the loose ends if, yeah, I think they tie up all of the loose ends in this one. So a very solid episode. So first we have Pat Hingle and we will recognize him as retired Lieutenant Detective Barney Cale from Unfinished Business, season three, episode three. And in this episode, he plays Lieutenant James Ignatius O'Malley. And I will say, like I said in the last episode review, that in Unfinished Business, he had a, a touch of an accent, right? In this episode, he is just swimming in it. He is swimming in that brogue, okay? (laughs) Just relaxing in it, okay? (laughs) And he really says top of the morning to you, to the captain. Like he is doing the absolute most, all right? (laughs) Then we have James Carroll Jordan. And we will recognize him first as Skip Fleming. I believe he was the theater manager in Death Takes a Curtain Call, season one, episode eight. That was the first episode where there was a defection from the Soviet Union by ballet dancers. So there were other entertain. was it? No. Yeah, that was the ballet dancer one because there was a second one that had Michael Haggerty and that was the woman was a violin no she was a pianist no she was a violinist she was a violinist and her brother was trying to defect right and they had captured her family specifically their parents yeah so this was the first one with the two ballet dancers who were defecting to the U.S. yeah we will next recognize him as Adam, Adam Rogers from Crossed Up, season three, episode 13. So he was one of the three sons of the victim. So this was the one where Jessica, there's a storm. Jessica is laid up with a slip disc or something messed up in her back. And she goes to make a phone call But the line is crossed with somebody, long story short, one of the brothers, not Adam, however, one of the brothers calling to set up an assassination of their father. And we will next recognize him as Doug Brooks from Just Another Fish Story, season four, episode 19. He was the co-owner of, of the restaurant, also the brother of the head chef in that episode. And that was the one where, we, where Donna and Grady are engaged and her parents wanna have an engagement party. This is the first time she's meeting Jessica. She wants Grady to meet her parents. Yeah, the whole nine. So this is, I think this is the first episode where we meet Donna. And thankfully, it works out for them because I will continue to say Donna is the best thing that happened to Grady. Honestly, he should not have been left alone. Uh, but, <laughs> but he pulled it together. He pulled it together, honestly, with her help because Jessica and Frank could only do but so much. But once they let him free, he forgot everything they taught him and Donna had to come and save his life, honestly. Honestly. <laughs> Anyway, in this episode, he plays Paul G. Abbott, and this is James Carroll Jordan's last Murder, She Wrote episode. Then we have Nicholas Pryor, and we will recognize him as Harry Parmel from Capital Offense, season one, episode 10. Now, I think he was a lobbyist, right? He was... I think he was an attorney, but he was a government lobbyist and he was working with the paper mill company that was trying to get Maine senators to approve a new paper mill. Yeah, I think that was the one. But he was a lobbyist. And, you know, someone shaking hands, kissing babies, trying to make deals happen. In this episode, he plays David Kingston, also an attorney. Now, I I think he was an attorney as well in the previous one, but uh, that's not what he was doing. He wasn't out here practicing the law. Okay. He was trying to figure out a way to manipulate it in the previous episode. (laughs) Well, in this one too. So honestly... And finally, we have Carolyn Seymour and we will recognize her as Pauline Constable from It Runs in the Family, season four, episode six, where she was the wife of the newest Viscount. Yeah, there was a whole title, but she became a Viscountess and was also the murderer. So there's that. Okay. (laughs) Actually, she legit poisoned the previous two Viscounts of Black Raven. Yeah. So that her husband would get the title and become, I think, the 19th. I think the 19th. So yeah, she was out here on some straight Lady Macbeth all right, but taking things into her own hands, not encouraging her husband to actually do the murder, but taking things into her own hands. I don't think that's what they meant when they were talking about women empowerment. I don't, I really I really don't think that's what they meant. Um, don't be out here murdering people, especially poisoning two people so that your husband can get a title, so you can get a title, and you can stunt on all of the women in town because you grew up poor and feel like you have something to prove, that you've crawled out of your, you know, your previous life into a life of wealth and title. But now you're going to prison. Girl, you worse off. You're going to prison? And she knew she wasn't going to get caught. She just knew she wasn't going to get caught. So it was worth it to her until she got caught. (laughs) When you ask people, when you really think about it, like, is it, was it worth it? Was it worth it? She honestly and truly thought there was no way that she would be found out as the murderer. Just absolutely no way. So yeah. Okay. But she was because Jessica Fletcher was in the building No, I take that back. It runs in the family was Emma, okay, McGill, the cousin, Angela Lansbury still, who solved this. So the title, it runs in the family. Yeah. In this episode, she plays Alice Montrose. Now let's get into the cast and this episode. So we have Detective Sergeant Vinnie Grillo. We have Gretchen Trent, Cindy Marsh, Lieutenant James Ignatius O'Malley, Officer Francis Xavier, Paul Abbott, Roland Trent, David Kingston, Ruth, Alice Montrose, Captain Sam Cohen, and Detective Rush. I don't know who Detective Rush is though, okay? Oh, I, I think his, I think it's detective Billy Rush and O'Malley refers to him by his first name, Billy. So that's, I think that's the detective who this is. So let's get into this episode. So I think this one's probably going to be a shorter one. Like I said, it's a pretty tight episode. Like it, yeah, there's definitely going to be a bit of ranting because of course, We look at the topics that are going to be covered in this episode. But yeah, so this, I don't think this is going to be a two hour one. We shall see. So we start out with Jessica introducing us to Sergeant O'Malley by way of a birthday card that she received a month late, but he did send it. Okay. (laughs) And I I think it's really funny that the same actor that she revealed to be the murderer in Unfinished Business, who was a lieutenant, okay, is now a different lieutenant (laughs) and a friend of hers. So uh, you got to love it. You have to love it. We have not forgotten that, but it happens to be Unfinished Business happens to be an episode that I really do like. So maybe there was enough time in between for other just casual watchers to not notice. But I don't know. Pat Hingle is a character. (laughs) just like Jerry Orbach is a character. Like the actual actor is just a standout person. And there are many characters who are like this but they tend to like the um like the character Dennis Stanton the character Michael Haggerty they're the same character right throughout so this was an interesting one I guess maybe he just didn't have the time to have like a regular appearance like a Michael Haggerty, a Harry McGraw, a Dennis Stanton. Because I think I would have liked that. I would have liked Sergeant O'Malley making another appearance. You know what I mean? Working directly with Jessica, that would have been perfect. Because he has one more episode with Murder, She Wrote further down. And he is not law enforcement. Okay, we do not like his character. Okay. So that, that's the one episode that's missing. Jessica working with Pat Hingle as a lieutenant detective or something like that to solve a murder. That and Francis, his niece, could have also now a detective at the end of this spoiler. That would have been, that would have been a really good episode. Okay, but it was not to be. So anyway, so Jessica also has gotten a letter because people used to do this. Uh, Not everyone sent an audio (laughs) like Dennis Stanton did, but, or does, I don't know if we've gotten to an episode. I think, no, I think next week's episode, Always a Thief, he sends her a tape going over her, his uh, last adventure, asking, telling her, hey, this would make a good book. But Sergeant O'Malley is old school. So he hand wrote a letter telling Jessica about his latest brush with dismissal. Okay, he stays about to get fired, (laughs) a mess. So we then go into the episode. And we see Gretchen and Roland Trent in a limo. Now Roland is going from phone call to phone call. He's handling business. Gretchen is over it. And she suggests that in between his phone calls that they go to Paris to celebrate their 10th anniversary. And Roland is like, I'm too busy for that. Like you can go with your girlfriends. And Gretchen is like, I don't care about Paris the point of this is for us to spend time together okay time together you're always working and so she she's fed up because he gets another call and is ignoring her she tells the driver to pull over at the next I guess building or whatever he does homegirl gets out of the car without Roland even noticing now, I'm just gonna say this, all right? This, Gretchen is not a young woman. Okay, she's not. She's probably easily in her 40s, easily, okay? He's probably in his late 50s. Yeah, I would say late 50s. I don't think he's necessarily in his 60s, but he's definitely in, there's definitely a five at the beginning of his age. She's she's younger than him, Clearly, but not decades, okay? (laughs) And you're telling me that you married this man 10 years ago. Now we don't know how long they were dating before they got married, okay? But he didn't just become this real estate mogul because that's the business he's in. He's in real estate. He owns buildings and, and stuff like that. So you can't tell me that you didn't know that he does all this work. Now, is it possible that in their dating and early marriage, he made time for her? So she was lulled into a false sense of security. And then once they were locked into this, he was just like, whatever, I'm getting back to work. That's possible, that is very possible. But she's over it. She gets out the car and we then go to the next scene. So we're at the mayor's office and we meet Officer Francis Rowley. So I think it's Francis Xavier Rowley. So yeah, anyway. So she's coming in with documents that the assistant to the deputy mayor or administrator for the deputy mayor has requested that she rush over so his secretary ruth is not out front so she goes directly into his office he's finishing up a phone call he's like after he gets off like oh the closed door doesn't mean anything she was like you told your secretary's not out there and you told me to rush these over so he's like oh you know my bad I, i don't take it the wrong way Anyway, so he's taping this. He has a straight up tape recorder in his desk, okay? Because he's just a slime ball and he tapes every interaction in his office, which honestly, what's about to happen, I, I don't understand. He, I don't understand why he would have taped this, but I think after I tell you what happened, I I think what he was thinking, we'll discuss. So, he comes around his desk to off to Francis. And she's like, oh, we can go over these documents. It was the, I think, arrest reports from Staten Island or something to that effect from Staten Island, some police documentation, records, statistics, something to that effect. And she's like, we can go over them if you want. And he starts to hit on her like, oh, I haven't. Stop thinking about you since we went to dinner. And she was like, oh, that was nice. You know, I'm always willing to, to help the deputy mayor. Now, his boss is what she's talking about. Like, so whatever is needed, I'm happy to help. So he then gets handsy with her. She has been taking self-defense. But I'm like, also, you, you should have learned hand-to-hand combat in the police academy yeah, that's like, is that—is that not part of the training? Because it is now uh, where I'm at. So like, I would have assumed that in your police academy training that you would have been taught some, you know, grappling, wrestling, self-defense type situation because... Somebody could go for your gun and you need to be able to get them subdued or somebody takes off running. When you're trying to arrest them, you got to run after them, tackle them and get them under control. So, so yeah, I don't, <laughs> girl. Anyway, so she is able to protect herself. And he was not expecting that, but he's like, oh, I like when pe- when girls get rough or whatever, or you like it rough, something to that effect, which is very concerning. Okay. To her and to me. Okay. Now homegirl has a gun, but this is really, this would be really difficult to explain if she shot this man, period. Like it would. Really? Oh, she's a woman. She can't handle herself. She had to pull out a gun and shoot him like she, you know, whatever. It would not have looked good for her in 1990 in the police force as a young officer, female officer specifically. Anyway, so he then like attacks her, like grabs her up. She struggles. She's able to get loose because she does have training, whether police academy or she mentions that she took a self defense class and is taking a self defense class. So later on in the episode. So that's why I'm referring to like, girl, didn't you learn this in the police force? Maybe she learned this part, this stuff in the police force. Anyway, so she is able to get away from him gets to his desk, grabs like a cup of water or a carafe of water something, and throws it at him, throws the water at him, not the actual container. And as she does that, Ruth walks in. Now, Ruth is not splattered with water, but Paul is. And he's like, get this little tramp out of my office. And she's like, you said a little what? Now, homegirl was about the wear this man out police officer or nah you're not you're not gonna be out here calling me out my name when you're the one who attacked me so he was like she barged in here and tried to proposition me with sex to get a promotion and like Francis is incensed she's like what you're not gonna she doesn't say this but this is how she's feeling because she she's ready to punch this man in his throat Two good times. Because what you're not going to do is you're not going to question my integrity. You're not going to say that I slept to the top, uh, slept to get my way to the top. Do you know the fight that I had to fight in to be taken seriously in the police academy and then now as an officer? Do you understand the struggles that I go through to maintain my professionalism so that those the old men and he's not even old so like generations of men who are like oh she must have slept her way to the top you know women can't be police officers women can't be in the military and all of those sexisms out there what I don't need is you trying to be out here spreading rumors like that and now Ruth don't believe it okay Ruth does not believe it, but she knows Paul, all right? And his nonsense. So she escorts Francis out. He calls, he demands to speak with the police commissioner, right? Ruth tells Francis, your best bet is to forget this happened and keep it moving. And Francis is like, what are you even talking about? Like he, you know, I didn't do that. He, he came after me. She's like, listen. You, he tapes, whatever happened, I wasn't there, but whatever happened in there, you better believe he has it on tape. He tapes everything that happens in that office. And so Francis like, thanks and leaves. My thing is, I would have immediately gone to either his boss, my boss, somebody, in order to get that tape. Because that tape is gonna prove that he came after me. Now he makes reference to a dinner and we'll find out what the nature of that dinner was. Now, when I heard that, I thought that the deputy mayor, him and Francis had gone to dinner. Cause when she said, you know, it was it's really great to to work for the deputy mayor I assumed that he was at that dinner since she said that directly after he was like i can couldn't stop thinking about you after our dinner so i I would have gone to get that tape because he clearly tried to proposition her, he clearly attacked her, you know, and was completely inappropriate in and the thing is had she not had training, whether in the police academy or in um, a self-defense class, she could have been assaulted more so than him struggling with her. You know what I mean? In the, you go into prison, uh, you got to sign a registry type assault. But had that happened, Ruth wasn't going to come busting in here trying to save nobody. I promise you she wasn't because I'm sure Unfortunately, that Francis isn't the first young woman that he has, that Paul has used his position to get her to do something they normally would not do. Okay, either reluctantly, you know, so they gave consent, but like not because they feel obligated to, where they're scared to lose their job or get in trouble or something like that, or by physical force. So Ruth wasn't, it didn't matter if Ruth was there or not. She wasn't gonna bust in there and do anything about it. So thankfully, Francis had the ability to protect herself, right? And the thing is, the fact that he felt bold enough to attack this armed policewoman really goes to how trash of a person he was. He didn't even respect he didn't respect her as a person, period. So that, that's where we're starting and ending really. But the fact that she is a uniformed, armed policewoman did not even phase him. He didn't even consider that she could have taken out her baton, got him in the back of the knee took him down, took him out, okay? To the knee, to the back of the neck, something. He could have been messed up. So he didn't even, he did not, it didn't even cross his mind that she would not comply with his advances. And so that goes to my thinking that, He did not expect when he started the recording, he expected her to comply with his uh, hitting on her, right? Having audio taped it, and then he could use that to blackmail her to continue a sexual relationship with him because for fear of exposing her, being fired, etc. So I think that's what he thought was going to happen. Perhaps he's done that to other women that they felt intimidated. They felt pressured. They complied and then find out when they are like, that's it, like no more that he's like, oh, I got this on tape. I'll ruin you even though that don't look good for you, but he's not concerned because he's a man. Okay, like, oh, they were trying to get a better job. They were trying to get promoted. You know, women just got to sleep, to sleep with men to get to the top or whatnot. That's the only way they can do it. So I'm single. What was I supposed to do? They seduced me. And people would have, they wouldn't have believed it, but they would have blamed the woman. So thankfully she was able to get out of that situation. Now we don't get back to him till the end. Okay, so we can cool our jets on this jerk. Okay, but then we got Roland Trent. So don't get too comfortable. Okay, (laughs) so the next scene, we're at the precinct and the captain, Captain Cohen is speaking with O'Malley who is pissed because obviously Francis who is, she's not technically his niece. Well, okay. She's not biologically his niece, but his former, his friend, longtime friend, knew Francis since probably, you know, her parents got together. He died, but O'Malley had been in Francis's life. For her entire life, so she he was like an uncle to her. so that's why she refers to him as uncle and he refers to her as his niece. but I don't believe that that's his brother or sister's child. I believe that it's just the family you create, right as opposed to the family that you're blood related to. So of course she's going to tell O'Malley what happened. And he goes to the captain and he's like, my question to you, okay? Because her father was the finest, you know, law enforcement officer I knew, okay? And she is an amazing officer on her own, okay? Not only does she come from good stock, but she has created a position herself. And ha- so how does she go to from being a liaison to the mayor's office, to working a desk job in the South Bronx. And the captain is like, she got a poor rating from the deputy mayor's office. And O'Malley is like, she's never gotten a poor rating, not even in the academy. So explain to me how that happened. And the captain is like, I, listen, if you want to see what happened, you got my blessing. Do you, boo? Do you, okay? Because the captain know there ain't nothing he can say. That's family for him, okay? That's family for him. There's nothing the captain can say that's gonna stop O'Malley from finding out what happened and making right, right, okay? So the captain's like, you know what? I don't need this stress. Do whatever you gonna do. Find it out, okay? Figure it out. So the next scene, we're at the Trent apartment and Roland is preparing to go to dinner. His wife, who is in her pajamas, is upset and he's like, well, you can, uh, he's going to dinner with his attorney, David. And he invites his wife, but it's not really an invitation because he knows she, she homegirl's in her pajamas. Okay, now she's still got a full face of makeup. Okay, and her hair is still done up. Okay, hasn't been brushed out for the night. She hasn't taken off her, her makeup. So like, it's still an, a chance to, you know, go out. But he don't really want her to come. And he knows she's not going to come. Cause she was like, I don't like that man. <laughs> but she's like, who is she? Is she someone I know? Because she knows that he, at some point tonight, is going to have a uh, meetup with his mistress. Now, he don't deny it. He's like, I don't know. You know, you know a lot of people, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So he's like, don't wait up for me. You know, I I might not be home at all. I'm likely not going to be home till the morning. If that, I might go straight to the office is basically what he's saying. So he, he walks off. She's upset. She's like, maybe I won't be here when you get back. He turns around. He was like, if I didn't know you, I might actually believe that. And then he walks out. As soon as he walks out, Alice, their assistant, walks in. Now, she's Gretchen's assistant, but I believe that she was working for Roland beforehand. Now, I don't think she was his assistant, but in some position in his office, because I think she knows him. I don't know why, that's their home. They're at the home, the townhouse. So I don't know where Alice lives that she was just in their apartment and homegirl Gretchen is in her pajamas. Like she is in her night clothes. Okay, (laughs) so like she in for the night. Why is Alice there? Anyway, so Alice comes into the room and she's like, um... Do you want to go to the office? There's a few letters that need to be finished. Basically to get Gretchen's mind off of what just happened. And Gretchen's like, yeah, thank you. And they actually do go. She gets herself, you know, together, dressed, and they go to the office. So the next scene, we're at the restaurant with Roland and his attorney, David. And Roland is like, she's like a noose around my neck. I got to get rid of her. And David says, well, uh, that would be easy if you hadn't made her a full partner in your business as a wedding gift. And Roland was like, that was your idea. And David said, no, you ain't going to put that off on me. I tried to persuade you not to do that, but you were still starry eyed when you did that. And... So David says, you have two options. One, you can go crawling back to Gretchen for forgiveness, or you can lose half of your business because that's what she's going to get if you get divorced. And Roland is like, are you sure there's not a third option? To which David is like, no, there's not. At this point, Cindy gets to the restaurant and she's clearly a mistress. She's clearly, she is in a leather skirt, a red top and a leather bomber jacket at this high scale restaurant. She then sits down. They start basically making out in front of David. And I'm like, that is, honestly, honestly. And David was good about it. He was like, yeah, okay. Hey, Cindy, great. I gotta go. It's like, oh, he's like, well, we're just here for dinner. We're not doing anything naughty (laughs) for now. I was like, gross. Like this, like, I don't need to see this. So David is like, listen, I still have to go over paperwork for the Phillips acquisition tomorrow. It's the meeting is at 930. And so Roland says, I left my briefcase at the office. So then the next scene, we're back at the precinct and O'Malley and Francis are talking. And so they're going over the dinner situation that Paul had referred to. And so basically, Francis was working late with Paul going over whatever documentation, statistics, records that he had requested previously. You know, I'm assuming that Either that he said he needed to do it for a report for the deputy mayor, whether that was true or not, we'll never know. But that's likely what he said, which is believable. So she was willing to, she's the liaison. So she's willing to pick up the papers and go through them to explain them to, so that Paul, assuming he had to present this to the deputy mayor or to the mayor, would understand it so that he could do so. And at some point, since it was late, Paul suggested that they get a bite to eat. And Francis assumed that it would be something casual. O'Malley says, yeah, like fast food. And to which Francis says, yes, but we ended up at Chez Marmont. And he he was very nice. He was very much a gentleman during this. And I actually started to like him. Now, I don't think she meant like as in a potential mate, but like as a person, like, oh, okay. He, he's not a bad guy. He's nice. He's polite. But yesterday, which was when, you know, the attack happened in the light of day, he was very different. You know, it was definitely not the same you know, and I think he was surprised by the fact that I wasn't, you know, I didn't accept his invitation for a liaison. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, so that, that's the thing. Like I said, however he read the dinner was, uh, caused him, and this is a hundred percent on him. This is nothing on Francis at all. Okay. At all, Period. All right? Because not for nothing, if the county, village, town, Providence, whatever, okay? If the government is going to pay for me to eat at a French restaurant, I'm going to eat there. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, let's go to McDonald's. Like, okay, you know, take a right here, take a left here, park here. We're going in there. Like, and I'm sure she's probably in uniform too. Like, (laughs) How, how uncomfortable is that, (laughs) you know? But, so I don't blame her for going because honestly, she might not have known until he was like, okay, this is where we're going. And it's like, well, okay. Um, I guess, you know, the city's paying for it. (laughs) Let's go eat. But we then... So that's how he misread her being polite as her clearly being attracted to him. And obviously, as an ambitious young police officer, she would be willing to use her assets to get ahead because clearly that's the only way she could get ahead. So he put two and two together and he got 75 And that 75 almost got him a knee to his business. But um, (laughs) I promise you, if Ruth had not come in to that office, yeah. So (laughs) I tell you, she would have, Francis would have figured out how to explain this. But homeboy would have been messed all the way up. Because you're not going to be out here trying to attack me. Do you not know? Anyway, so O'Malley is like, hey, you know, my partner, um, well, it's not actually his partner. It's his like mentee, you know, (laughs) he was promoted and so he needed another assistant, you know, and so he offers the position to Francis, which she happily accepts and she's giving him a hug and he's like, "Uh uh-huh, no. We don't do that on the clock, okay? This is a professional establishment. Now, everybody knows that that's his niece, you know, in name and relation, right? Not by blood, but name and relation. That's his niece. So they they don't, it's like a father-daughter relationship. Nobody thinks there's anything, well, except Detective Grillo, but he's, he got his own issues. We get to him in a second. Anyway, so she's like, our shift ended two hours ago. He was like, okay, maybe just a wee hug. Okay, <laughs> I think it's very cute. Like, despite the fact that I was absolutely disgusted by Cindy and Roland making out in the restaurant, this like father-daughter type relationship that O'Malley and Francis have, and she was giving me a hug, she's so excited. I that was cute like granted it's in the precinct okay (laughs) granted it's in his actual police office but i still thought it was adorable um probably not necessary well they were off the clock so yeah (laughs) so o'malley is like well francis is like so what do we do next and o'malley is like well it's been actually kind of quiet but I got this itch that's telling me that something's about to happen. Next scene. Okay. <laughs> we're back at the Trent. No, I thought we were at the Trent apartment, but we're back at Roland's office. Okay? And he is wearing gloves. Where did he get these gloves? I don't know. But we're, that's a loose end that we just don't ever tie up. But okay, fine. So he has these gloves, white gloves on and he's typing on the typewriter a self-termination note, okay? And his wife is on the ground, unconscious. There is a bookend that is bloodied on the ground next to her. So after he types this, Letter. He doesn't even take it out of the typewriter. Okay, he goes. He cleans off the book end. He then cleans up. To, I guess wipes up the blood. Cleans up the blood that was around Gretchen. He then picks up Gretchen and like tosses her over the balcony. On and they're in the penthouse of however tall this building is to her death because apparently she was likely just knocked unconscious but we actually the coroner's report never comes in during this episode so we don't know if the strike to her head killed her or if she was unconscious and then when she hit the ground, that was what killed her. So we don't know. We actually do not know. The coroner likely knows, um, but we never get the coroner's report. So he does that, cleans up, grabs his briefcase and heads out. So the next scene, O'Malley and Francis arrive at the scene. And I'm assuming this is Detective Rush who is standing next to the sheet covered body of Mrs. Trent. And he says that it was, some, it was a jumper and they jumped from the penthouse office. So O'Malley asked, well, our, how do you get up there? And there's a front entrance and then there's a back entrance which has a private elevator f- directly from the park, from the parking garage. So they go up stairs, Francis and O'Malley, and they meet with Detective Grillo, who's like, why are y'all here? It's a textbook suicide. And O'Malley is like, yeah, the coroner's report hasn't, like, then why are these people here? You know, why is crime scene here then if it's a straightforward suicide? And Grillo is like, this is Roland Trent's you know, office and building. So it's not just anything. And that's his wife who has died. So this, we got to dot our I's and cross our T's. So O'Malley goes over to the typewriter, which has the note. And he says, oh, Mrs. Trent must have been a secretary at one time. And Detective Grillo says, her? Nah, she went from being... Miss July to Mrs. Trent. You really should, you two really should read the inquirer to, you might learn some stuff. So, okay, wait, (laughs) wait a second. So you're telling me that this woman who is clearly in her forties, who was likely Miss July back in her twenties, we'll say teen to twenties was a model. Homegirl ain't been a model in some time. Homegirl has not been a model in some time. Let's, let's be absolutely honest. So like how long were they together? You know what I said? Like there, there weren't any <laughs> loose ends. Um, how long were they together if homegirl was a model in her 20s and she's clearly in her 40s now and they've only been married 10 years and somehow some way she didn't know that he worked all the time. But actually he's not working all the time. He's working with when he's with her because he has a mistress who he's spending his quality time with, his quiet time, his in-between work time, which he used to obviously spend with his wife. Um, Now he's spending it with a mistress. So that's the change. That's the change. But anyway, so Francis is like, ah, there's something not right about this. You're telling me that there's no mistakes. Now mind you, it's three lines. It's really like three lines. Like my my darling or something like that in an in introduction, one sentence and then one other a farewell line, you know, like a signature. So, it's not a lot, but Francis is like, you're telling me that there's no mistakes with a woman who was getting ready to Leave this world, okay. So clearly in some sort of distress, okay. Didn't make a single mistake, and she has like inch long manicured nails, and she didn't. There, there's not a a, a backspace or whatnot. There's not a a little bit of whiteout situation, a you know, and even. Like, obviously you're not going to do all that because you really, you're about to leave this world. Like, you don't care. But you're telling me that she wrote this perfectly. Spacing, appropriate spacing at all. That doesn't make any sense. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, and obviously, because we saw that Roland is the one who typed up the note and he obviously could not, match her handwriting because it would have made much more sense for her to just write I'm sorry and that's it like that could be the entirety of the note no explanation whatever just I'm sorry but then I don't know if would that have been better like would they have shown that to other people to see if that was her handwriting would they have looked into it like that But anyway, he chose to to type this up with perfect spacing, consistent font, no errors. So Detective Grillo comes over to Frances while she's standing alone and says, you know, I really thought that O'Malley would choose me to be his assistant, that I would be like a shoe in but I don't have your qualifications, sweet face. And so Frances says, for one, my name's not free sweet. <laughs> it's not sweet face. It's Francis and actually to you it's Officer Rowley. And if you say that to me again or to anybody else, I'll just put it this way. I've been taking a self-defense to class. I'll show you what I just learned in my self-defense class. And let's just say you your social life will be a bit stunted for a while. Now he got that. And basically what she was saying is you're going to catch a knee or a foot to your business. Okay. Cause that's what I learned. (laughs) But he got what she meant immediately. Okay. And he was like, oh, oh, she ain't the one to mess with. Now, I don't know. He obviously didn't have a lot of interactions with her to know that she's not the one to mess with. But if he didn't know, he knows now, okay? So, and he he left it alone. He left it right alone. He was like, oh, she ain't the one, and kept it pushing. So at this point, O'Malley notices the difference in the bookends. So one is highly polished. Now, that's the one that we saw Roland Trent cleaning off the murder. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily the murder weapon, Because I don't know if that the hit killed her or just knocked her unconscious. But the other one is grimy and definitely unclean, okay? So then Roland Trent arrives and he's like, why are y'all all here? Gretchen killed herself. And so O'Malley's like, how do you... You just walk in here and you look around and you're like, oh, my wife killed herself. And he's like some insensitive sergeant called and left it on my voicemail. Right. That would be Detective Grillo. OK. <laughs> I was like, oh, I thought that I should tell him as quickly as possible because he's Roland Trent. So you say instead of saying, please call me immediately. And giving him, uh, you know, we're at your office, please call immediately and and come over so you can tell him in person. You're going to leave that on his voicemail? That is wild. That's why you're not O'Malley's assistant because you're definitely a terrible detective. Anyway, so... O'Malley is like, I I have a few questions for you. Sorry, you know, my condolences because he doesn't recognize Roland nor does he care who the heck Roland is in the community. The fact is there is a suspicious death that he needs, that O'Malley needs to resolve. So he asked Roland when was the last time he saw his wife and he said, 7.30 this evening. I was preparing to go to dinner with my attorney. I asked her to join us. But, you know, she she didn't want to go. And honestly, um, I'm sure my attorney would have preferred her company. Most people like most people prefer her company over mine. And so they asked if anyone else was at the dinner. He says no one else was there. O'Malley asks how long has he had this office? And he says, as long as I've owned the building, which it has been several years. So O'Malley then says, well, you need to speak with your cleaning crew. And he's like, what, my, my cleaning crew? And O'Malley points out the bookends, how one of them is polished clean, but the bottom is wet. So it clearly was recently washed. And that's not good for the wood surface that it's on. And then he proceeds to put it back down. <laughs> he was like, now they don't know where took a photo of it. Anyway, he was like the other one it's grimy, not no disrespect, but this out here is nasty. <laughs> well worn. And so he's like, "Oh. Okay." <laughs> he is confused, but he also knows why it's different. And of course, he's not thinking I need to clean both of them. He's like, "It's going to look like a suicide. Are they even going to come up to the office and look look, you know, other than to see how she, okay, she got access to because she is a partner and she just, this is her note and she jumped off and that's it, that they wouldn't investigate. They wouldn't have crime scene and all of that. So then O'Malley brings up the fact that Roland never asked to see the suicide letter or he calls it a farewell letter, which is a lot better, Uh, farewell letter. And he said, if my, I, I forget the name of his wife, but if his, his sainted wife, okay, had left him a farewell letter, he would have grabbed it immediately and committed every single word to memory. And I was just like, that is very true. And I'm sure it would like carried in his wallet. Like that's the last piece you have of them. The last time, like if he had a voicemail, I'm sure he would have cut the voicemail. All of that, right? Which is, you know, but people grieve differently. And obviously he ain't had no love for his wife at this point, but we know that. But, you know, and obviously O'Malley knows that, you know, he can read the room. But Roland says, well, I'm afraid of what's in it because I'm afraid that she may have blamed me for this. And that's true as well. Okay. Now I don't think that a person who whose spouse left this world at their own hands. And they had a very loving relationship and sometimes it doesn't matter how close or loving or understanding it is. People we never know what's going on in people's minds, right? we we can't there's no way and there may not be outward signs that we catch or you know you can look back and hindsight is 2020 20, like oh well you know we you know that that's why you have to go to therapy because you'll never get out of that cycle without assistance but if you were having an issue with your spouse and they took their lives, their own lives. I can understand not wanting to read that letter because it could blame you and you can't take that back. Like once you've read that, once you've seen that, that's it. Like that's part of you now. And that's a guilt that you would have to carry. Okay, so I understand that. But Roland Trent ain't that person, (laughs) okay? He's not that person. And my thing is, He knows what's in the letter. Why wouldn't you? He wasn't even thinking about that. I think he was stunned that there was a full investigation going on. So he was not prepared with a response, you know, but also he's Roland Trent. He did not think that he would be questioned about anything right? Because it's a suicide. So why? Other than like, you should expect to be asked, like, when was the last time you saw her? What was her emotional state when you last saw her? That you can expect. But I think he was really thrown off by seeing all these police officers end crime scene. Okay. Then you have him being questioned. Then you have the book ends being photographed. He saw them take a photograph of that. And I think that really just all of these things threw him off where he did not think to ask to see the note because he knows what's in the note. So he knows it's not blaming him. So he had to come up with this lie about, I'm afraid that she blamed me for this. And O'Malley says, well, I I can tell you this, that there was no blame given. So he walks over cause it's still in the typewriter. He reads it and he, he looks sad Qu- in quotes, looks sad. So the next scene, well, that no, we're still in the office and the phone rings, Francis picks it up. And she says, there's a man downstairs named David who's demanding to see Mr. Trent. And Roland is like, Oh, poor David. Um, well, no, before he says that, he they already know that David is his attorney, right? So O'Malley is like, do you think you need an attorney at a time like this? And Trent is like, Mr. And Roland is like, oh, poor David. He probably just heard about Gretchen's death and came over to, you know, to support me basically. I'll go downstairs to speak with him. And as Roland is getting on the private elevator, he turns around, he says, Lieutenant O'Malley, maybe someone, do you think someone handled that bookend and then wiped it down? And O'Malley says, that's possible, but the question is who handled it? And Roland is like, yeah, yeah, just a thought. And then he leaves, So O'Malley and Francis are still in the office. And he asks, well, what do you think about that? And Francis says that Trent is a cold fish. So the next scene, we're in the limo with David and Roland. And apparently Roland had David pull O'Malley's record. And O'Malley is highly decorated, highly awarded, and is a hard nose, you know, and that has gotten him into trouble with the brass, meaning the higher ups, the police commissioner, the captain, things like that. And so Roland says, we'll make this one of those times. So the next scene, the captain comes into O'Malley's office while he's in there with Francis. And he says, listen, okay. First, O'Malley says top of the morning. I'm like, honestly. O'Malley, really, dial it back, okay? (laughs) Anyway, so the captain says, listen, I need six years to collect a pension, but you are hell-bent on making that impossible, okay? You went and interrogated Roland Trent about his wife's death? And O'Malley says, "Uh, it wasn't an interrogation, per se and Francis says no it was information gathering you know coming in for her uncle coming in from the right for her uncle and so the captain's like yeah whatever okay stop this and O'Malley's like you want me to stop my investigation and the captain's like there is no investigation this was a suicide like what are you doing and O'Malley says Listen, okay, the coroner has not made a determination as to the cause of death. So what happened was made to, what I believe is that it was made to look like a suicide, that it wasn't in fact a suicide, but in fact, a murder. And the captain says, okay, so you believe it's a murder. Okay, got you, got you, got you. I can, I can see that. But it's, it's not the person that you were talking about. It, it couldn't be. It wouldn't be. And O'Malley says, yes, it's definitely Roland Trent who murdered his wife. So there's that. And the captain is just deflated and defeated. <laughs> just leaves. He's just like, I can't. Oh my gosh, you're just trying to get yourself fired and me too. But at the end of the day, like honestly... They're in a union, in a very, very protective unit. Union, okay. The mayor can't just now the the commissioner, yes, okay. But the captain, as well as O'Malley, now they can make their jobs hell, okay. They could give them terrible assignments, but that's the most they can do. They can't just fire them. And especially because there's no misconduct for real, okay? And even if there was, that goes to internal affairs. There's a process to that. So the captain just wants to, to relax his six years. Like, I don't know how you the captain and you got a whole homicide department. You got a SVU department, you know, the whole... You, Trafficking, well, actually, I don't think in the 90s they had a trafficking unit, but a kidnap, well, no, kidnapping was the feds. Anyway, so you got major cases and detectives working on those below you. There's There's no like easing into retirement. So I don't know why you're like so upset with him, but I guess it's having the commissioner probably calling you regularly to fuss at you about what, O'Malley is doing that is what you mean like I have actual serious cases victims alive dead in a coma unconscious on the run all of this to deal with okay I don't need you creating cases that don't exist okay (laughs) I need you to actually work on investigations where there is a crime that has happened. Please, okay? <laughs> I think that's his issue. Like, But low key, the captain doesn't have a problem with O'Malley. Like low key, he believes him. He trusts his instincts. But if you're getting calls from the mayor's office, from the commissioner, you're like, I get it, I get it. And you can see that the captain only goes, but so far he he's not going to sit there and argue with O'Malley because he knows that's pointless. That's just going to upset him, and it's not going to do anything to O'Malley because he <laughs> he don't care. He does not care. Right is right, wrong is wrong, and it doesn't matter who you are in society if you have committed a crime. Okay, you're going down. Okay. <laughs> and the captain understands that and you know, he he tries to clue o- O'Malley in, but he knows it's a sometimes it's a losing battle. So he he kept it pushing. So the next scene Roland comes back to his office and there's like police tape over the private elevator. He rips it off. He gets in the private elevator, goes upstairs. He then immediately picks up the phone, dials a number, calling Cindy, his mistress. He's like, hey, darling, uh, lunch at wherever, at 1230. I'll see you there. And hangs up the phone. Then the camera pans over a little bit and it's O'Malley. He's like, oh, who were you talking to? (laughs) Hopefully it was a voicemail and you just haven't gotten over the fact that your wife is dead. Or if you're talking to a real person, is it your wife? (laughs) Because their wife is dead. So I'm concerned. And so Roland is surprised. Like he did not even... Now O'Malley is standing right there. Now, I don't know if he was somewhere else and then walked over, but he it wasn't any place to hide. That office is completely open. Or you would have heard the door creak or something. And he he was just so focused on doing whatever quick thing he needed to do in that office and getting back downstairs by 12.15 to go meet with his mistress. So O'Malley is like, yeah, we're still investigating. Um, You broke the tape and just came on up here. Shouldn't it be closed? Your wife just died. Like regardless, your wife just died yesterday. Why are you in the office? Your staff ain't even here. But how are you coming in a private elevator straight to your office and you don't know, you don't alert your staff? You don't come out to see who's there? That's wild to me, actually. <laughs> anyway, so O'Malley is like, yeah, so we have a few problems. One of which is that your wife's fingerprints were not on the typewriter nor were they on the actual farewell note, okay? How do you think that happened? And Roland is like, oh, it must've, the police department must've bungled it. How, how would have been my question? Please explain to me how there is a typed note, one of a kind typed note that your wife, Allegedly wrote, okay, would have had to put the paper into the machine to type it, okay? And her fingerprints aren't on there. Explain, explain that to me. And if she was in a, a mental state to end it all, she was probably sweating, which makes it more likely that she would have left prints or skin cells or something. And none of that none of it, is on that sheet of paper. Now, could she have used a pencil To since she did have such long nails and the way that typewriter was set up? May, could she have used a pencil for that typewriter? Yes, but that means she likely never used that typewriter. So why would she use it now? But the second issue is that The bookend that was shiny had zero prints on it. The other one that was grimy had the secretary's prints, had Gretchen's prints, had Roland's prints, had Alice's prints on it, which is to be expected. I'm like, is it really? Because why why would you be touching the bookend? Why is everybody touching this bookend? (laughs) Is there a trap door under there that people need to get access to and they have to keep moving that and shifting the books over or pressing a button? Because it doesn't make sense why y'all would be touching this book and all of it. It should be covered in dust. Well, actually it shouldn't because they have a cleaning crew. It it shouldn't have everybody's prints on it. Like why was everybody touching it? But the other one was pristine, not a single fingerprint. That don't make any sense, Right? And they had taken them to test them because after, O'Malley was going to do this anyway. But he, O'Malley says, well, after you mentioned that maybe somebody used it and then wiped it down, we took them to be tested. And when I tell you his stomach dropped, dropped when he heard that because you and I know Ain't enough cleaning in the world. That's going to get everything. And that had like a felt pad on the bottom. So anything could get like in between the metal and the felt. You can't just rinse that off. It could get stuck on the the glue. Mm. Mm -mm. You can't clean that completely. So he, stomach dropped. Okay. So O'Malley was like, and the third and most, concerning of these is that there was no screen. So we have Mr. Donatelli, who it was a stockbroker, but when the market crashed, he unfortunately lost everything and has been sleeping in the alley next to the building. And on the night of your wife's death, he was sleeping in the doorway to the building next door and he did not hear a scream how traumatizing for this man because one did he have friends who like I know back in what the 20 in the 20s when they had that market crash people were jumping um i'm sure he's talking about a more recent one i'm assuming At the time of this is 1990, there was another one coming up soon after that. But probably in the 80s, Like he might have actually seen friends and coworkers doing this, ending their lives this way because of financial ruin. But in this case, he's just minding his business, sleeping. And could you imagine waking up and there's just, this woman there, no longer with us, he didn't hear anything, and there's just a body that appears. i I don't, I, I don't know. I hope they got him help, because that is, next level, messed up. like I can't, could not even believe it. So Roland now is like, this was a terrible idea. <laughs> I messed up at every avenue. So he's like, well, you know, that those people, you know, scream when they, when it's unwilling or something like that. But she, according to the note, went willingly. And O'Malley says, listen, I've been a detective for many, many years. And unfortunately, I have had experience with many people who have ended their lives this way. And no matter how determined they were, when reality set in that this was it, like they had taken the step and there was no turning back, every single one of them screamed. So either your wife had remarkable re- resolve or she was unconscious when she was tossed over that balcony one of the two one of the two and Roland knows that <laughs> clearly anybody who met his wife knows that it, it wasn't the remarkable resolve okay so the next scene we have Francis in a suit yes girl yes get your detective on and she's interviewing Alice Montrose the assistant. And she asked about Gretchen. And so Alice was like, she wasn't really involved in the business, meaning Gretchen. She only signed papers when her husband requested because she was a full partner. So there's certain things that, that she wasn't reading or concerned or part of that, but things that required her signature as a partner. But she was mostly devoted to charities. And writing letters and sending checks and, and things like that. So, or and probably fundraising as well for those charities. So Francis asks, when was the last time you saw her? And Alice says, the night that she died. We were at the office, just the two of us, there was no one else there. The staff had left and she was dictating letters to me because she hated typing and her writing was, atrocious while we were doing that Roland appears suddenly from the elevator and he saw that Gretchen was sitting behind his desk right and got real nasty and upset about this and was like are you trying to take over and Gretchen says well why not I'm already half owner and Alice says the look in his eyes made her afraid that she thought that he was going to hit Gretchen. Like he was pissed, beyond pissed, okay? And so Alice quickly said, like, we'll be out of here in less than an hour. We're almost done, we're almost done. And she says that seemed to calm him down. He then left, because he came back, he said he had left his briefcase. That's why he had returned. So once he left, Alice realized he had again left his briefcase. So she asked Gretchen, oh, should I try to catch up with him? Because he went out the front way. He had originally come up the private elevator, but he left through the front door. She said, should I try to catch up with him? And Gretchen says, no, if he really needs that, he'll return to get it. So they went back to writing letters and with Gretchen dictating to Alice and after about an hour or so, Alice was barely able to keep her eyes open. Hopefully, she got a car service because, God forbid, she was driving her car that tired. But Gretchen was like, Go home, get some sleep, and I'll continue to dictate on tape because that was the other method she would use either direct dictation or she would dictate onto. A tape, which Alice would listen to and write up the appropriate notes and letters and cards thereafter. So Alice leaves. Then Francis asks, well, what was her emotional state after the argument with Roland? And Alice says, well, she was upset, of course, but I, you know, why, why wouldn't you be? We were able to continue to work though. And Francis says, do you think she was upset enough to take her life and Alice says absolutely not and Alice reveals that she believes that Roland is involved that he neglected her he did not realize how much how special of a person she was that she loved him he didn't reciprocate that love but when Francis says do you think he was having an affair Alice like shuts down now I don't know if perhaps Alice had A relationship with Roland, not at this time, because he had Cindy. So I don't know. Like, I don't know if before Gretchen came along, Alice was his assistant and maybe she, they had something going on, but then he got with Gretchen, but then she realized Gretchen is a really nice woman and just, you know, made peace with it. I don't know, but she clammed up and we don't ever find out for real why. But O'Malley, when Francis tells him, is like, well, you know, some people will talk crazy about someone else, family, friend, employer, right? But if someone else says something about them, they will, you know, fiercely defend that person. So that might be why. Like that's still her employer and she may have known him longer than she knew Gretchen. So she doesn't want to, even though she's like, I think he killed her. (laughs) But I don't think he, I don't think she was saying, I think he killed her. But I think she was saying, I think that his mistreatment of her could have driven her to do this. Or he did this. But, I don't, then I don't understand like you were willing to say like I think either he drove her to take her own life or he helped her along the way actually factually but I don't or she thought when Francis asked that that she was trying to imply that Alice was having an affair with Roland and that's why she got offended I think that's what it was I think Alice thought that Francis was implying that Alice was the mistress to Roland. And that's why Alice got upset. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm gonna go with. So as they're outside, Francis and O'Malley, Detective Grillo pulls up and he's like, the captain wants to see you immediately. And he reveals that the captain wants O'Malley to do a press conference squelching okay that was the word they used the murder rumors you know so next scene we're at the press conference and O'Malley is given a prepared statement which is like three sentences long he reads that and he then saying that it's a suicide and that's that on that he then asks question for Questions and the press is like, Do you think it's a suicide? This, or any other? And you said, At this time, what does we believe it's a suicide at this time mean? And he says, That at this time, like right now. And so now Roland is watching this in bed with his mistress Cindy, okay, thinking that he has done it, he has humbled. O'Malley, he has stopped the investigation, okay? <laughs> he played himself because O'Malley then says, uh, well, the a reporter says, do you think there's gonna be evidence that shows that it's not a suicide? And O'Malley says, I hope so. And they said, do you have a suspect in mind? He's like, yes, I do. Can you reveal who that suspect is? Of course I can. I believe that it is Roland Trent, her husband, who tossed her off the balcony. And so, of course, Roland is pissed because (laughs) now this is on national television that this decorated lieutenant, okay, who is investigating this homicide, believes that you, real estate baron, Roland Trent is a murderer. Okay, okay, you played yourself. You should have just sat there and ate your food, but you didn't. You want to be out here trying to squelch these rumors, try to humble O'Malley, and you played yourself. So of course the press is outside his office and he and his attorney comes out and he's like, "Um, you know, O'Malley is... Deliberately lying, he should hand in his resignation. I wasn't anywhere near my office that night and I have a witness, but I'm not going to reveal that now because I don't want to subject her to this media storm. So the next day, Cindy comes in with David, which is Roland's attorney. O'Malley is so unbothered. Like he is the definition of unbothered. And so Francis comes into O'Malley and she's like, you know, I recognize the attorney that Cindy came in with, that's David whoever, who is Roland's attorney. But I saw him on a regular basis coming into Paul Abbott's office, the assistant to the deputy mayor, regularly. And so O'Malley was like, well, what did they talk about? And so she said, I don't know, it was behind closed doors, but it was definitely the first of every month, okay? At the least. So she must've also told him about the recordings that Paul takes. Now we don't hear that, but we have reason to believe that she did tell O'Malley this. So the next scene, Cindy is giving her statement. She's like, he was with me all night. He came to my apartment after he argued with his wife and he was there until he got uh, heard about a woman jumping off the balcony at his office. He then called home, didn't get an answer, checked the voicemail and got the, the message from the sergeant saying that his wife had committed suicide. And so... O'Malley has come in and he's like how long were you guys in a relationship and she said several months and he's like well nobody on his staff ever mentioned you and so she's like well he didn't want to broadcast it girl because you was a mistress with a married man and he don't even seem like he was good to anybody (laughs) girl but I guess money is money and she says I've never been to his office that's why You know, this wasn't that type of relationship. Like, girl, it wasn't. So she leaves with David, the attorney. And the captain says, you know, I recommend that you drop this, basically. And O'Malley says, I can promise you that I will do everything in my powers not to cause any more embarrassment to this department. Smiles and leaves. And the captain's like, oh, my God, what's he going to do now? So the next scene, we're at Paul's office and Lieutenant comes in. O'Malley comes in. Francis is there and there's two uniformed officers and Ruth all come into his office. They have a subpoena for all of the recordings that he's made in this office. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, Ruth, get them out of my office. He, she was like, you can get them out of your own office, baby, and walks out. And he's like, "I'm gonna get the mayor on the phone, and <laughs> O'Malley's like, "Yeah, he's waiting for your call, and I think it's to fire you so he he looks like he really just pooped on himself <laughs> like, really, like over over, okay, And so they then are in Trent's office listening to one of the recordings. From Paul, and it's a conversation between Roland and Paul, basically bribery. And O'Malley says that this is the motive for Gretchen's murder. Okay. If they divorced, then you would be forced to open your books because clearly they didn't have a prenup. Okay for two things. One, they clearly didn't have a prenup. And two, he made her a partner to the business. So the business is an asset that they share and would need to divide. So the business assets would be opened up and the fraud and bribery would be revealed. And besides that, because she was a partner in the business, she knew too many secrets and his business dealings because he would just be on the phone, on the phone, on the phone in her presence and did not even think twice about it. So she knew where all the bodies was buried. She knew his, his fraud and fraudulency. She knew too much for him to let her go, okay? Because he would have had to pay her, give her whatever she requested. Like if she wanted 95%, he would have had to give her 95% so that she wouldn't say anything. And there's still no guarantees that she wouldn't say anything. So the only answer was she had to die. And they said that the lab report came back on the bookend and it had traces of blood and hair, both belonging to Gretchen, like in, in the nooks and crannies of it. And also Alec, cause Trent, cause Roland is like, well, no, like I never came back here. I was with Cindy all night. Now they brought Cindy up into the office. So she's there too. So it's David. It's who's trying to get, um, Roland to shut his face, Roland and Cindy, So O'Malley says, well, we have a statement from Alice Montrose who says that you left your briefcase here that night after arguing with your wife. You still didn't get it. You came here to pick it up, but got into the argument with your wife and left without it. However, when we got here, there was no briefcase. But when you walked in here that next morning... You had your briefcase with you. The only way you could have gotten it is if you would have come back here in the interim to get your briefcase. And so he's like, You know, I didn't do this. And O'Malley says, Yes, you had too much to lose to actually get your hands dirty and kill your wife. But Cindy, you're the most likely person to lose your temper. You had the most to lose because you were, no offense. But offense, you wasn't nobody. You were the mistress and he could not leave his wife. So your position was always going to be a side piece and you know, whatever money's come with that. But at any point, his wife could have shut that down and there's nothing he could have done about it. He would have just had to obey because he, it was cheaper to keep her. It was literally cheaper to keep her. And so Cindy is like, I don't have to listen to this. And so she goes over and presses like the secret button to the private elevator. And O'Malley says, yeah, no, like you, you know, I forget what she, she says. She was like, I told you I, I didn't, I was with Roland all night. Right. And O'Malley says, well, you also told me that you've never been in this office before, but how did you know which one of these doors led to the elevator, because all of these doors look exactly the same, which is the truth. Okay, when I tell you it's an ugly pattern, but it's on every single one of them, same size, height, cut, doorknob, the whole nine, they look exactly the same. And so she's like, Roland? (laughs) He's like, I can't help you. No, he's like, shut up, Cindy. And O'Malley is like, yeah, you probably don't want to say anything until you speak with an attorney. And you know it's not going to be David because David is Roland's attorney and he's not even a criminal defense attorney. He is a business attorney. So you, and you ain't got no money, Cindy. So Roland can get the best attorney possible and you think that he is going to pay for your attorney? Girl, you are out of luck. He done left you with the bag. Okay, a bag of 25 to life. Girl, you can't be all nice and pretty in your leather skirt and your leather bomber jacket, okay, with your hair teased to the gods. No, no more girl, no more full face of makeup with at least, well, you can, but you ain't got no money to get that from the commissary. So you're going to be broke down, busted, and disgusted Now you're going kill this man's wife. Possibly, possibly. Again, we don't know which of the two actions resulted in her actual death. But there is a recording because, of course, Cindy gave a statement because she has no other choice but to try to get a plea for any sort of leniency. Okay. So she just given up the whole situation. So apparently she went over there to try to reason with Gretchen. And Gretchen was basically, she has the upper hand. She had all of the aces. Okay. She is a partner. She knows his dirt. There's no way that, and if she wants her husband, why would you want him? I don't know. Okay, after all this, he don't pay no attention to you, nothing. But she probably was like, that's cute. You think this is going to last? All I got to do is tell him that he got to shut you down and you'll be gone. You'll be back on the streets where you deserve to be. Okay, we'll still be in our townhouse, we'll still be in this penthouse office, we'll still have millions upon millions upon tens of millions of dollars, okay, I'm still going to be going to nice lunches and you are going to have to sell off the clothes that he bought you and the jewelry that he bought you and move out of the apartment that he got for you and go back to the street where you belong and that's going to be that. You think that you're going to come in here and try to make me divorce him? You don't even understand in your airhead the fact that I hold all the cards here. He can't leave me unless I want him to go. And even if I want him to go, he can't leave because I know all the secrets. So I hold, I control this. He had his little fun real quick, but (laughs) I run this. I run this because I'm the most dangerous person in his world right now. So Cindy, let her emotions get to her. Okay, she didn't play her position of a side chick, okay? She picks up the book end and hits her in the head. She freaks out because of course there's blood everywhere and um Gretchen is knocked out on the ground. She calls Roland. Roland comes up the private elevator. Again, I don't know where, he came with the gloves because he knew what had happened, right? And had put together how he was going to handle this. So he told Cindy to leave and he would take care of it. So he, where we came in at the beginning of the episode with him typing up the note, her passed out or dead on the carpet, was Cindy had hit her now we don't know whether now if the well what he could he would be an assess, accessory after the fact because he tried to make it look like a suicide, but if he to cover up a crime uh you know so if the coroner's report came back and said that the blow to the head, you know, was what killed her. That well, which might be well, actually no, 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 no. I was gonna say that might be difficult, but there was an episode of Forensic Files where a guy threw his wife off of a a dock. It's not really a dock, but it, it was like a wooden deck that overlooked water, but it was kind of just like in the middle. Anyway, regardless, threw her a few feet down and she hit her head. She wasn't dead, but she was knocked out. He then took care of the kids, the kid put the kids to bed, came back out hours later, saw that she had not died and pushed her in the water, right? So what they were able to determine was, now this was in the 90s, this might've even been the 80s because you know, the first set of forensic files were cases from like 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. So this, right around this time, they would have been able to do this, right? The, they were able to figure out that her her body started to try to heal itself, Right? before she died. So there was time enough for her body to tr- start healing the head wound. And so that's how they were able to tell, because I don't even think like she, cause she didn't drown. Like she died on, did she dr- Whatever. Anyway, the hit on the head started to heal. So if the coroner can determine whether there was any healing that occurred before she died, then they can determine that the hit when she hit the street that's what killed her. If there isn't any healing, because obviously she would have an additional head injury, which would have covered up the first head injury. If there's no signs of there being any time, you know, any healing going on, that means that when she was hit in the back of the head, she died, right. So if she died when she hit the ground, then you have Cindy for attempted murder, probably probably a manslaughter situation. No, actually, take that back. You would have Cindy for aggravated assault. So assault with a weapon. That's what you would have her for. And you would have Roland... For murder, like you have him for murder, like, yeah, murder. Now he could argue for a lesser included or something like that, like maybe for a manslaughter because like, I thought she was already dead. I was just trying to cover up the murder. I didn't know that she was alive and could be saved, right? I don't know if they would believe that. I don't know. He does have money, but I don't know. So if they determine that Cindy, in fact, her blow to the head is what killed Gretchen, then they would have her for manslaughter because she didn't intend to kill her, but she, her actions resulted in the death of Gretchen. So she would get some sort of manslaughter at least in the state of New York, and this is apparently NYPD. And so then you would have Roland with, probably, I don't know, they could are arguably a conspiracy because he did basically let, make Cindy believe that Gretchen had to die in order for them to be together. I don't know who would testify to that, but he would definitely get an accessory after the fact and some, and definitely for bribing an official. So he he got a few irons in the fire, okay? So he might be going to Club Fed. He might be going to Rikers Island. He may be going someplace upstate for a year plus, okay? But he going to somebody's prison, For nothing, if nothing else, okay? He might get some time for the accessory after the fact if, like I said, depending on what actually killed Gretchen and for those financial crimes. Now, I don't know, in the 90s, were they really hard on crime like that? On white collar crimes like that? I don't know, like public corruption, it depends on what party was in power, really. So I can't necessarily speak to how they would have handled it. Because, you know, I wasn't old enough to know any of this stuff in the 90s to speak intelligently about it. So there's that. Anyway, so we end on a happy note with Francis being promoted to detective. Okay, so Detective Rowley. Yes. Yes. So all all good in the hood. So like I said, a very solid episode. I did actually have a long review. I thought I was like, oh, can I, I need to get just an hour at least something. So, <laughs> and here we are. But next week, we will be talking about Always a Thief, Dennis Stanton Returns. Yes. So <laughs> until next time, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram, on Facebook Meta at the Fletcher Files Pod on Facebook Meta. And as always, in the description box, you will find the link to my Patreon. Oh, the content of it all. Okay. If you're not on it, get into it. You're missing out. Missing out. Okay. Okay. Until next time, you have an amazing week and I will do the same. Until then, bye.